Welcome to the Poundcast. I'm Jackson Murphy, and as always, my companion in crime and podcasting, Nick Kewen. Welcome to the Poundcast. Uh, how are you doing, Nick? I'm doing great, Jackson. <laughs> I put you on the spot. <laughs> I put you on the spot there. I'd, I've never started the the Poundcast off like that. Well, you but. you got an honest answer out of it. At least that was sincere. Yeah, that should be our like our new goal to try to trip each other up. <laughs> well, it keeps it spontaneous. I like spontaneity. It's a good good thing. Even though like we're recording this, then we're going to edit it, then we're going to put it up onto the interwebs. There's nothing spontaneous, spontaneous about yeah, it. Yeah, it'll actually if, if we record for an hour and a half, it'll get boiled down to half an hour. That's sort of like yeah, maybe a third. Although they have been bloating over time, like they keep getting longer. Yeah, it's because we're saying so much great stuff. Yes, that is true. So today we're going to say some great stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to ramble about, we're not going to talk. We're going to ramble about uh, the two biggest things in sort of digital marketing news, well, at least to me, uh, Apple Day and uh, Force Friday, sort of the release of all the Star Wars toys. Then we've got a super cool new segment here where we're going to have an interview with uh, one of our uh uh, strategist and managing partner at Pound of Grain, Sandy Fleischer, and we're going to talk about how to be useful in the digital age. So he's going to talk to, he's going to share his wisdom on that. Fantastic. And then, of course, our favorite segment of all time, our digital picks. Digital picks. I like the uh, introduction of the Poundcast interview. Yes. The inaugural. Yeah. Poundcast interview. Hashtag Poundcast interview. Who's going to be next? Uh, to be determined. You yeah, can e- yeah, you can email us with your desire to be on the uh, Poundcast uh, interview series. I just uh, that lucky person, whoever it is. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> awesome. So well, let's um let's get into it. Um, these two big events, the last uh, sort of seven days. Um, hashtag Apple Day. Hashtag Force Friday. Maybe we start with with Star Wars and we just we just spent a little bit of time before we started recording on this insane rollout of every type of toy imaginable connected to the new Star Wars movie and to contextualize that from a digital marketing perspective Force Friday with a hashtag a bunch of activities so from uh, what I would classify, not in a judgy way at all, nerd unboxings of these new toys, midnight store openings, like celebrity kind of like uh, uh, people going in and like unveiling countdowns to these new toys, and then the toys themselves, like the whole rollout. And we're still at least three months away from the actual new Star Wars movie coming in in December. So so. Well, A, we can geek out over the toys, but like kind of a masterful like 90-day out window of rolling out a whole bunch of new content, a whole bunch of new ways to buy stuff. It seems like they're doing a really great job of trying to build this sort of firestorm of excitement before the movie actually comes out. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen many movies in recent memory that have done anything quite like it. I mean, like the original trailer for The, for the Force Awakens came out when? Three months ago? Three months, months ago, yeah. A full half a year in advance. Yeah, give people a little taste to get them wet their whistles. Yes. <laughs> so, what was your favorite of the toys that came out? Well, I mean, I think I'd have to start with maybe not my favorite, but just like we talked about micro machines on the Poundcast when we're talking about micro content, and they're back 
with a vengeance for Star Wars. They've got micro machines coming back. So we pioneered that. You're welcome, world. Because <laughs> yeah, they couldn't possibly have had that in the in the hopper before we recorded that. <laughs> no way. I mean, you have to be at a certain age to even care about micro machines, even know what they were, right? Yeah. And actually, I don't know. Do kids care? Are, are kids going to care about these toys? I don't know if it matters anymore. I think adults uh, are just as much consumers of the toys as the kids are. Well, they're collectibles. Right? Yeah. yeah. Or you could play with them too. <laughs> no, you don't want to unbox this stuff. Well, fair enough. Yeah, come on. You want to buy two, one for playing with, one for saving for later. That's fair. Okay, and I get it. Uh, what else do we get? Uh, well, one that I think would be great around the office, although I've been a kind of not a naysayer of Nerf guns and toys in offices because it seems like really juvenile and crazy but Chewbacca's you just, you just try to destroy the fun at the office Jackson right? <laughs> but I might make an exception for Chewbacca's crossbow because <laughs> it looks super rad and well, Chewie was the best I'm just picture trying to get some work done and taking a, a nerf arrow yeah. from a Chewbacca crossbow in the back of the head I'm sure that like the startup uh, companies in um, San Francisco have, have cornered the market on those yeah, development teams. They probably cornered the market on like office goggles. Yeah. <laughs> All fun and games until someone puts your eye out with the Chewbacca Nerf Arrow. Totally. I think that the two biggest ones, the second biggest one I think is from being a kid is that you can get your own like official Star Wars Millennium Falcon drone, essentially, which is insane. Well, that is just every child's dream. Yeah. They weren't actually like, you know, didn't have their own that they could actually fly around sitting in it i mean like a yeah. like full scale full scale millennium falcon yeah. would be the they, best they could to yeah. like hyperdrive or whatever it's called what was it called uh <laughs> hyperspace <laughs> yes i might have to edit that out because <laughs> I, I almost said warp speed warp speed star trek man. i know i don't think you need to edit that out i was like it's hyperspace jump to hyperspace yeah i think so yeah they go to light speed don't they yeah yeah we're not, see, proof positive that we're not the, the total nerds that these toys are after, but we yeah, still appreciate it. have to use my memory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can't, we can't instantly um, Google it while we're, like, recording the, the, the Poundcast. Or could we? We could. Live Googling. That's amazing uh, innovation. <laughs> uh, so that one's pretty big, and that one had a lot of buzz. The, the other one that had a lot of buzz, well, it just it's insane. So in the trailer of the the new movie there was this little volleyball sized droid like the r2d2 2.0 where the the head doesn't seem like it's connected and it's just like a ball rolling around looking super george lucasy cute um and you were like oh i'm sure they'll sell a lot of toys based on that not only are they going to sell toys based on that <laughs> it's a droid called the bb-8 uh, made by Sphero. So they pioneered another kind of round kind of uh, control with your iPhone droid in the last couple of years, which are actually pretty cool. But this one looks and kind of acts exactly like it looks in the trailer. So you're just going to set this guy down and roll him around the room? Just uh, maybe get him to do some chores for you if you could? Yeah, I don't know how many chores because he doesn't have arms or legs, which 
you know, not to keep calling back to our previous podcast, but I think it's smart that these new droids do not have the arms and the superhuman strength to destroy us. Absolutely. Let's, let's keep him in novelty. He's also quite small. He's very small. He looks to be about maybe four to six inches tall. Yeah. So that's fine. Yeah. yeah. It's like a baseball. It's like a baseball sized droid. I mean, if you had thousands of them, maybe, but I think <laughs> they could overwhelm. Yeah, it would be like a Gulliver's Travels sort of situation. Yeah, but it's it's pretty cool little toy that can respond to your voice. Uh, you can like send it out on patrols, and it'll like you know scout a room out and learn as it bumps into everything where everything is. Then it can like move around. It'll just know what the the spatial area is, kind of like a those like droid vacuum <laughs> vacuum cleaners. Definitely. I, just, I watched a little trailer, and the first thing that came to my mind is it just looks like it was built specifically for tormenting your dog and cat. <laughs> I just picture that little thing like flying around the room, yeah, making its R two D two noises, yeah, and yeah, because it makes a little cute. And my cat just ripping its head off. <laughs> you but, don't have a cat, though, do you? Of course, I have a cat. This is breaking Poundcast news. <laughs> I don't think I knew that, but Nick has a cat. Interesting. We'll yeah. have to we'll have to talk about that on a future episode. There once was a day that I had two cats. Dose cats. Dose cats. Yeah. One flew the coop, so to speak. Really? Yeah. Huh. Well, that, okay. We're bringing it down sad. No, no. He's <laughs> free now. Oh, he's free now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was kind of like Force Friday, kind of an, a juggernaut of nerd e-commerce uh, marketing um, and a rollout of just I'm sure Disney just on the toys alone is getting their money back from buying the Star Wars franchise okay well the most important question is how many are you buying it is a great question it's only 150 bucks for the the BB-8 droids I haven't bought one yet speaking of cool things for the office yeah we should get one hmm yeah just to try I'm not little mascot. Yeah, because he could map out the thing and, and, and drive around. Yeah. I don't think I'd be allowed it at home, I think. Uh, I think Jose would not allow that at home. It seems to be, to be a perfectly reasonable office expense. <laughs> it does. Uh, so that's Star Wars. Uh, second second uh, piece of, of, of um, digital marketing news was uh, Apple Day uh, in the past week. Fun day. Was it? Yes, maybe. We got, I got live. Are you excited? I was, I was a little too busy, but I was getting live Slack updates from uh, Graham in Vancouver about how awesome the new TV was. Okay. Um, Do you agree with this assessment? Yeah, well, I mean, let's start with the TV. So the new Apple TV looks remarkably similar to the old Apple TV, but the, the remote control is completely different, which is amazing. Um, just as Apple does, like, uh, but it's got like a, a swipe uh, area on the top of the remote and a few more buttons than the old old timey um, Apple TV or, or, or remotes. And they kind of build the whole this whole thing as the future of television, which everyone's been kind of hoping that they would give us um, for for many years now. Um, but it 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 looks and the reaction of many on on. Um, Twitter and uh, other platforms was that it really just seems like the future of TV is apps. Well, I guess uh, you know apps are a natural extension to the, the with the future of TV. Everyone is so used to apps. Now. Yeah, I mean, like the, everyone's phone, everyone has an iPad. It's 
It, what's interesting about it, I think, though, is that it makes the audience or the user a lot more active in their entertainment experience. You know, it's not like yeah. the days of yore when you turned on the TV and you could just, uh, you know, channel surf yeah. to the same degree, just a flick of your thumb. You actually have to put a bit of thought into what you want to watch. Even the little trailer we watched, yeah. they're not using their uh, the remote control, their new fancy remote control, and they're using the Siri voice commands. Yeah. They're still saying anything with Jason Bateman. So you're still, you're putting a little thought into it. You yeah. know? You're not just watching whatever happens to come on. Show me junk, and it would just show you yeah, like just, just <laughs> random stuff. I want to binge sci-fi, and it just like fires it up for twenty-four hours and doesn't stop. It should say like vintage channel serve. Yeah, <laughs> and it'll just flip through infomercials mindlessly. Totally. And maybe you'd hit like a Baywatch rerun and watch that for a bit or something. Yeah, I would like that feature because earlier this week I. There was a, I don't know where I found it, I think it was on Twitter somewhere, but someone had like released, and this may not, you may not know this show, but like The Rockford Files. Oh yeah. Yeah. Classic Jim Garner, um, uh, 70s um, TV show. I I was watching it on reruns at my grandma's house when I was a little kid, (laughs) along with Matlock and MASH. so, So was I, I don't think I was watching it in first run. Nicholas, I don't think I'm that old. Uh, But someone had like taken all, because every episode, we're totally tangenting, I love this. Uh, Every episode started with like an answering machine message. And kids, for those of you who uh, don't understand what an answering machine is, it's like voicemail. It's like a a push a button on. Yeah, and it recorded on a cassette. Um, but it had all the audio files and you could listen to all of them because he, he that was kind of the funny kind of hook of the show was that like he was kind of like all over the place and a bit uh, I wouldn't call him a deadbeat but he, he had his issues he wasn't a, a well put together person but then I went on Netflix trying to find it and of course it's not on Netflix it's on Hulu and you know we're in Canada and and I, it just got too complicated so I just listened to the audio files but I would like to be binge watching Rockford Files with the sound of my voice guiding it I think that that's possibly a possibility yeah the more they get into artificial intelligence um, the more Siri will like start to be able to do some of that stuff so yeah totally well I mean I already have I, I can tell when I go on my Netflix account that there are some sort of algorithms for what I've already watched that there's certain content that's being pushed at me. Yeah. You know, like rom-coms are nowhere to be seen, which is my ideal interface. Such a wrong rom-com hater. <laughs> <laughs> I, they have, they, they have a certain place, yeah. but when I open up, you know, Netflix, you're not shouting to Siri. Siri, Hugh. <laughs> we were both saying Hugh Grant at the same time. That was amazing. Give me some '90s Matthew McConaughey back when he had genius. Yeah, when he had long hair. And yeah, I want to binge '90s Matthew McConaughey Siri, and then, but it would be cool if like Siri then judged you a little bit, like yeah. just like really, <laughs> really, dude, come on. Yeah, and in the future, because I, I, we love like future casting. In the future, like, couldn't then Siri then also, like, make fun of you and, like, then through the Internet of Things be connected to your fridge and be like, there's a pint of chocolate Ben and Jerry's ice cream, Mm -hmm. Nick, ready to go for your binging of McConaughey 
rom-coms. If, if Siri starts talking to me to that degree, then... You're, 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 you're out. <laughs> well, no, it's like there's, there's no reason that entertainment will be a, a purely solo exercise because yeah. like Siri would be like, let's watch a romantic movie tonight. And be like, why do, why do I even need a girlfriend? I've got company, I've got a movie, I've got... Yeah, and then like Siri starts to sound more like um, Scarlett Johansson in her and not like Siri, and then you fall in love with her. And then I've got 90s McConaughey on the screen. <laughs> i got Scarlett Johansson in my ears. <laughs> I've I got ice cream in the fridge. The yeah. fridge is telling me to eat the ice cream. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. And Men and Jerry's has like sent you like a you know an app reminder on the TV um, or a coupon, and it's delivered. So I just yeah. be six hundred pounds. Yeah, <laughs> living <laughs> alone, living <laughs> living alone with your Sphero BB-8 droid. <laughs> it's a blissful utopia. Yeah. that's for sure. That's a vision. But today we still have to deal with uh, the realities of our devices. So uh, Apple Day. Hashtag Apple Day. Um, there was a couple of other product uh, <laughs> releases that they right. wetted our whistle for. The right. How much did they blow your mind? Giant iPad. <laughs> uh, well, iPads could always get bigger, you know, why not? 12.9 glorious inches of, of an iPad. Uh, so big that they've added an Apple Pencil and an official keyboard. Um, but it's... Like, those are the kind of things that could break your nose if you fell asleep and it fell on your face. So, uh, have you seen any sort of, like, application of what you're supposed to do with the Apple Pencil, aside from just leave, write your digital signature? I think it, I think they envision it more as, like a, like, a work tool. Like, so the Pencil could be more, like, connected to your apps that were, like, maybe more like Photoshop and stuff like that. Like, the traditional use of, of a stylus or a, you know... A, or maybe if you're like an architect and you're yeah, drawing up exactly. designs. Exactly. Like it feels much more like not the personal, you're in bed um, wanting to read a book or something. It's a device that you don't have your laptop. You have your giant, you have your giant iPad with a, with a, a keyboard. So that was kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting. It's also interesting how sometimes uh, technological innovation almost seems to take a step back. Yeah. Um, naturally, it, it, it seems there's almost that strange sort of uh, gray area yeah. where the Apple Pencil comes out for the iPad and it's no different from a pen and yeah. a piece of paper would be. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like just even on its on the face of it in 2015, I was not expecting that Apple would, would think it needed a pencil. But it Watch it be the biggest hit of the season. Of course. No, people just, just like the Star Wars stuff, people are just like, here's my money. Take it. I want it. And um, now I have a hundred dollar Apple pencil. Yeah, that which, only works with my iPad. Yeah, <laughs> yes. That you lose, and then you're whatever. But it, uh, related to this, and and I, I mean they, they they droned on for like two hours in the keynote of, of different stuff. Um, they also released the success, the new phone, mm -hmm. um, with an amazing tagline, and we joked about that before we started recording, but. Their taglines are just genius for like the first thing you read about the new product. Their tagline is, the only thing that's changed is everything. And what's the everything that's changed with the success? Well, you can get in pink. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think technically they call it rose gold, but it looks pink. Um, 
I mean, yeah, it, the camera's upgraded. It's, it's like on the new operating system. Like, there's all the things, but like in a sense, it is still the six. It like nothing's really changed. Like, I think that's a struggle for for some people is that like it's not a much of, enough of a leap until you go from the the non S ones. Like when they released the seven, it it's significantly different. Changed somehow. These middle ones. It's hard to envision exactly yeah. what could be a, a really significant change. Yeah. I know it'll be something that my feeble brain can't uh, imagine right now. No, the one thing that they did add, though, was like a new feature to um, they called the iPhone upgrade program. Ooh. It's, it's basically um, you pay in installments and get an upgrade every year. So you basically are like pre getting into the system, getting an unlocked phone and saying like every year I want the new one and you're p paying a premium to like exchange those for the newest one. I'll pay for convenience. Yeah. <laughs> so for the super nerds, they can do whatever they want and always have the newest one. So they're basically just copping into the system of just saying like, yes, I want a new one no matter how, how insignificant the change is. Mm -hmm. Well, they might as well acknowledge their addiction. Yeah. Yeah, and make it easy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think in in general the like off year ones aren't as big as like when they release a brand new version. Mm -hmm. um, but still, like they occupy the mind share of the internet, Twitter, Facebook, um, probably Snapchat for a day and a half, probably the whole week of people talking about these new things and having the the corresponding debates of. Is Apple TV the future of TV, or is it like a complete waste of time? At the end of the day, people will make both of those arguments, and that, that both of them will say, like, despite that, they will sell 500 million copies. <laughs> so they win either way by having people have those discussions, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of, uh, you How know. How much of this are you buying into? You purchasing uh, any of these new products? No iPad. Really interested in trying out the, the TV. I don't think I'll go for the, the phone until the 7. I think I'm, I'm still good. So you can pay for the Apple TV service? Yeah, I think I, I'd go for that one. Well, that was kind of like, yeah, we wanted to talk about those two things. Um, and then maybe um, now we can transition to our first uh, Hashtag Poundcast interview uh, to Sandy. So we recorded this. Uh, well, Jackson and Sandy did. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, I was in Vancouver with Sandy, so I recorded this um, in Vancouver. And, and what we really wanted to do was just, you know, kind of revisit one of our themes that we, we talk about at the agency quite a bit, is that, and that's being useful. And so with that said, here's a little interview with Sandy Fleischer. So I'm here with my partner in crime, Sandy Fleischer, the Fleischberger, everyone's favorite man. Fleischberger, yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> Uh, managing partner here at Pound and Grain in his first appearance on the Poundcast, and we're recording this in our Vancouver office shortly after hashtag BC Storm. Um, so that's been totally fun to be here when uh, places I've had no power, but the power has been on nonstop at Pound and Grain. We're talking about utility and being useful in all aspects of marketing. Is just sort of get into that topic and talk about how important it is. So. Um, I think I'd, I wanted to start with you, Sandy. We just had this big storm. Power goes out for 24, 48 hours. Hundreds of thousands of Vancouverites living in chaos, living in filth, 
no showers, no power. Um, but we saw our good friends uh, at BC Hydro, who, who, spoiler alert, we've worked with over the years, um, have to deal with over 24,000 tweets and work really hard to restore power across uh, Vancouver. Is there a lesson for brands here on being useful for consumers above all else? Yeah, I think, uh, well, first, I think there's lessons in everything. And, well, I wanted to say, you know, thanks for having me here. First, <laughs> let's get that out of the way. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. So you're, a, a, you're probably the uh, inaugural, <laughs> inaugural listener of... Uh, of the podcast, exactly, and you know, I'm excited to be here. The uh, the adrenaline's flowing, and if anything, I'm really going to have to check myself to uh, to make sure I, I I remain on track here. Uh, speaking of, so so to your question, yeah, I think I I, I think first and foremost, what what this tells us uh, is that you know people are going to rush to digital as as a first line of defense to to find out what's going on. And, and it's important for brands to be able to prepare for that, you know, for best case scenarios, worst case scenarios, to uh, to 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 be able to react. You know, I know in the PR world, they'll talk about dark websites that can be pulled out if there's a crisis. So that's you know maybe more on the negative side of the spectrum. Um, but I, but I think also the uh, the the flip side is there there's there's also opportunity for for brands to get engaged and to be able to uh, help in any way they can uh, during these type of moments. I think, uh, you know, maybe a, another thing we learned that while uh, as individuals, there's lots of awesome people out there, it seems collectively on social, people can get pretty stupid. <laughs> you know, I, we, we, we were joking uh, the other day, but when you looked at some of the tweets out there, like, hey, Hydro, are you going to pay for my food that's gone bad in my fridge? Or, uh, hey, how come my neighbor has power and I don't? It's, uh, you know, it's pretty easy to see how things can get pretty unruly. I like, I like that, that their first response is, I don't have power. I, my food's spoiling in my fridge. But my first tool in the arsenal is I'm going to go on Twitter. Totally. And, like, how did the phone stay charged is what I want to know. Like, were they, like, out in the car charging it up? Just that was, shouldn't they have, like, if they had a car and could charge it, why didn't they go get some food? <laughs> well, you know, and, and I was talking to my babysitter about this. She's about 16, and she was over on Vancouver Island where they had similar issues. Um, but her power was on, but she, she said her whole group of friends were constantly Snapchatting about, oh, my God, there's no power. And she said about 12 to 16 hours in, depending on the type of phone they had, or if they had a battery pack, uh, slowly their friends would start dropping off from the conversation one by one. And then finally there was silence on Snapchat. And, you know, she and the rest of her family were able to just uh, read a book, for example. So, I think yeah. that's the one thing that I saw a lot of on social was more the people who used the opportunity of, like, no power to, like, actually get back to that kind of camp night or, like, book reading families around the couch and around the candles reading books, which seems so much more human than yeah. just all being on your phones, which... It's a nice sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> One that we don't believe in because we're digital marketers. <laughs> but maybe maybe, maybe I'll take a step back and... and you know, recently you had uh, one of your articles in Strategy Magazine, I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago, 
all about kind of this power of utility when it comes to digital marketing. And, and maybe you 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 could uh, take us through a little bit of an overview of of what that means and what's happening and where it's going in 2015 and, and, and maybe your perspective on just like what being useful for a marketer or a brand is in 2015. Totally. Yeah, this is something that I love to talk about and that we talk about uh, whenever we get the chance, whenever someone will listen here at Pound and Grain. Because, you know, we found uh, by experience and also uh, by examples of what others have done that, you know, the name of the game is to create a strong connection between the consumer and the brand. And, you know, as we've shifted to digital, uh, what that enables us to do is to actually provide something of value, something that's useful to the consumer to strengthen that connection. And that's really a much better way than uh, trying to shout louder than all the other brands. So I think, you know, that's, that's the main premise. It's been working well for us and our clients. And that's, that's always the way in that we look for in terms of how to market. And, and, and more often than not, that ends up being digital. And I, and I think, you know, in the recent piece in Strategy Magazine, where the angle that took and where that one was really interesting was that we can really look to the world of startups who, who seem to um, almost exclusively in the high-tech world be dedicated to removing friction. And that's really a lesson uh, that marketers uh, can, can pick up on. So, you know, whether, whether it's the, uh, the uh, retailers, uh, and not that they're a startup, but like Amazon or the newer entrants, the... Uh, I've heard of this Amazon before, it's <laughs> yes, startup. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Whether it's the newer players like uh, Frank and Oak or the sentiment is there. So, so these digital pure plays are starting to realize that they can actually add value by, um, by uh, you know, extending the omnichannel experience into the physical world. So, so again, it's that, that high-tech pure play mentality of doing what you need to do to remove the pain points. And if that means going physical, great. So, you know, we're, we're also seeing a lot of the, the Uberification. Ooh. I didn't pronounce that wrong because I made it up, so there is no wrong for that word. I like but it. But we're seeing, you know, what can the Uber of this be or the Uber of that? So, you know, we see uh, black tux, which is the Uber of tux rentals, you know. Uh, push, push a button, get your tux, that kind of thing. So, you know, may, maybe the uh, exact definition of what removing friction is uh, is a bit on a sliding scale and whether it's you know, a, a massive help or whether it's just a small help that will, you know, maybe uh, bring a smile to someone's face. Those, those things all count towards, towards brand building. Especially in like um, the industries where there is friction in terms of uh, whether that's airlines or, um, you know, places like cable companies. I've often heard you on uh, phone calls with customer service, not to put you on the spot, but just those places where there is naturally friction uh, as you're dealing with them. And the more more companies that seem to like take those barriers away seem to have more happy customers. Totally. You know, there's, there's removing pain points. And then I guess what's even worse is adding pain points. And I think, you know, unfortunately... Bad, uh, due to bad service design or customer experience, we're, we're seeing a, 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 a lot of friction being added as opposed to being removed. And, uh, you know, I, I see this everywhere, not, not just in brands. You know, there's, 
I, I mean, maybe I'll just give a couple examples. Love it. Uh, I'm trying to stay positive. I'm an optimistic guy by nature, uh, as, Graham, yeah. <laughs> as Graham will tell you. But, but you know, a couple of examples. Uh, I recently uh, was on a Swiss Air flight, and I, you know, I'm just kind of dropping that because it sounds really cool. Such a and uh, I actually have to laud them for what they did here. Everyone is now so confused, and partially this might be due to lack of standardization, but I, I think the, the other component is it's just so complex and ever-evolving, but no one knows what device they can use when, when they're on a plane. And Swiss Air actually, in their in-flight magazine, had a two-page fold-out, which was an uh, infographic detailing what devices could be used, how they could be used at six different stages in the flight while boarding, while taxiing, while taking off, while at attitude, altitude, while, while landing, and again while taxiing. And there's, at each step, you can use different devices, and sometimes you can use them with wireless on, wireless off. So they had a whole two-page spread on this. So that's, at least they're trying, but that whole situation is just, it's, it's adding friction. And I, I think another example of this is, you know, I'm a good guy. Would you agree? 100%. And I, I, I like to do my part to keep, keep the world green. And uh, I also really like food courts. Yeah, I have a weakness. Who, who doesn't? I think we both have a weakness for food courts. That's a, a little known fact. You're in the Vancouver office. <laughs> I just, you know, so I take my, my meal. There's usually not much food left over, but sometimes an occasional scrap. And, and I'm confronted, depending on the food court, with five or six different bins. Um, and again... Uh, you know, visualizations about what goes where, but but it's just not working. So, you know, I, I'd love to be able to have Pound and Grain or other customer experience, service design, user-centric focused agencies be able to solve these type of problems too. I, you know, I'm really on my pedestal here, mm. but I just think these are areas where the intentions are good, but we're creating friction and not removing it. It's like the the Starbucks is like introducing their concept stores in New York City where they have like um, employee with kiosk like right at the front of the store, like mm -hmm. taking your orders all digitally, and then by the time you make it to where you are wanting to go, it's all ready for you to go, and you just walk off. It's all paid for. It's all done, and it's that combination of digital and real world that makes your life a lot easier. Totally. You know, that things like that will make me use a product even if it's not my favorite product. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's well thought out. Yeah, and then that's what... That's I what mean, it's like, about. Yeah, I guess... Bringing it back to the positive. Yeah, well, I think it's <laughs> that's the, the end goal of the user experience. And then if you use... If, if user experience and, and catering to users first is your first order of business, then you naturally gravitate towards being useful for the users rather than yeah. <laughs> making them your totally. enemy. Yeah, it's an approach. Yeah. Uh, are there any sort of, um, you know, other easy wins or, or, or things surrounding, um, you know, when marketers, you know, when, when, when our clients or, or potential clients, you know, have to make a choice between spending their dollars on a campaign or spending their dollars on investment and being useful or is there a place where those um, coexist together? Yeah, I, I think you know every situation is going to be uh, different but but in general 
we'll always look to amend, look, look to, you know, recommend uh, removal of friction or, or make, you know, enabling someone, looking for that opportunity. And I think how they can work together is there's often opportunities uh, to promote that, to bring it to people's attention. Mm -hmm. Look, you can do this. Or finding strategic ways to, to create some awareness around that. So the campaign becomes a vehicle for telling people that you're well, making their lives yeah, better. Yeah, I mean, it's because, yeah. you know, you're actually doing something. You're putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. And, yeah. I, and I think, you know, it, it doesn't need to be a huge, overwhelming initiative. Like mm. I, you know, an example that I'm really fond of speaking to, and it's, it's probably, you know, this one's as old as Twitter itself. So we Whoa. could be going way back to 2007 <laughs> or 2008 here. Um, but um, there, there was a bakery in the UK that, you know, just uh, clutched together a, a system where if they pushed a button on the counter, for, for those of you not in the live studio audience, I just mimicked hitting a button on a counter, uh, and uh, they would do this when the bread was fresh, and then instantly their followers would know you can get fresh bread right out of the oven. You know, that's so simple, but it worked, and in no time... Uh, they got lineups, and you know the agency behind that one, I believe, actually productized that for, for for other bakeries. You know, I think to get started, it's just really careful consideration to what is the user experience leading up to making a decision on whether your product or service is right for them, for how they use your product or service, or for what they do even after using your, your product or service. So. You know, we'll call that a user journey based on the different user types. And then once you've start, once you've mapped that out, you can start looking at well, what what are the different pain points? You know, at Pound and Grain, we'll, we'll be able to do that uh, partially through just our own experience, but also in talking uh, to the end user and really getting an understanding of of what what are the things that they bump into. Mm -hmm. It's really an anthropological uh, approach as much as anything, but it's it's uh, it doesn't need to be complicated. No, and I think well, it's also there's also some things where barriers are com coming down between marketing and IT. There's not the marketing does this and the product does this. Those groups are are starting to to have meaningful dialogue together, which makes it easier to go useful. Completely, completely. Yeah. And you know, I, I'd say really we have social media to thank for that because. Social respects, no silos. <laughs> so, you know, whether it would be marketing, customer service, or all the various touch points. And, and I think, uh, you know, there, there's been a, a, a somewhat gradual and often painful process of businesses needing to reorganize to, to take down those silos in order to be able to uh, not only capitalize on it, any opportunities, but to, to exist and operate as, as required. So that's... Uh, you know, definitely, as, as, as many digital agencies will tell you, uh, it's important, you know, in a lot of ways, it's easy to think of particular solutions for a client, but the questions we need to ask ourselves is, is this client's organization in a place where they're ready to implement a particular solution? And, you know, we get it. It's not, not easy to change. So yeah. it's, it's something that needs to be considered carefully. And I think something you mentioned earlier that, that contributes to that is that the startup world paving the way for something totally. like that. Like, oftentimes they don't really even think about marketing. They're just thinking mm -hmm. about, we're going to tell people it's about implicit. our product. Yeah. yeah. 
um, and the product becomes their vehicle for marketing. It's very zen. It is <laughs> Zen in the Art of Marketing by Sandy Fleischer. That's your book! That's your book! Yes. You heard it here first. Sandy is, is trying to think of ways that he can write a book. Um, so um, that could be the title of it. I know. It's like I want to back into a book idea and I want to back into an idea for a good tattoo. So <laughs> those are two things I'm looking I'm open. Let me know. Tattoo ideas. You heard it here first. You can send those to us and uh, our uh, design team will happily mock those up. Awesome. On the next podcast. Uh, one thing about utilities you did, I'm, I'm going back into the, the vault. I'm going to go back to the vault for a couple of questions here. Let's do it. Let's go. Uh, you did a talk for the BC um, Association. Oh, BC AMA? Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. The BC chapter. BC the American chapter. Marketing Association. Yes, that's, that's what it is. Um, and it was uh, super fun, but it's had two things at the front of it in that presentation that I always remember to this day um, that kind of leads to utility. And one was, I forget how you phrased it, but it was like one, it was an article saying that people had told the CRTC that people hate commercials. (laughs) And two was something that we internally um, deemed the Kardashian effect. Yes. (laughs) Can you take us on a quick tour? Yeah of the Kardashian sort of view of the world that kind of is related to all of this. Because totally we're clickbaiting yeah. like crazy, just going to put Kardashian in the uh, meta tags. Totally. The Kardashian effect, I think that was shorthand, you know, really for the fact that there's so much inane content that there's kind of an opportunity. It's a bit of a judo move, you know, using the weight of one's opponent against them. In that by actually providing content that is useful or informative, it can really stand out amongst all the crap that's out there. So really a simple thing, um, but the reality is that you know when you look historically at how a name content is, there needs to be more studies on this, not that advertising <laughs> annoys people, but you know. Um, and we see it with reality stars running for office, whatever, not want to get political here, but Trump. The, the reality is that there's just more and more nonsense out there. But, you know, we, maybe, you know, we have a bit of faith in humanity here. And if you actually provide good content, it will be seen and heard through, the, excuse me, through the clutter. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Kardashian effect. <laughs> Patented. Patented. <laughs> yes. Kim doesn't know. Trademarked, patented, and everything in between. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that, that's, that's it in a nutshell. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. Anytime we can work a Kardashian into the Poundcast, that's my new uh, number one goal. Awesome. Um, I wanted to, to get personal because you had your own kind of like origin story of utility um, from your DJ um, days. And I, I say this describing that I'm in the Vancouver office today and Sandy's entire um, collection of vinyl is constantly in our face as he brings out the records, plays them for us whenever he can. And you have a great collection of obscure records that no one would imagine that you could get. But when you were a DJ, you um, discovered a a way of being useful to um, a record store owner. Yeah, I uh, 
you know, really when I first found utility would work for me. So I, I guess just in terms of context, being a, a DJ and playing at clubs, you know, you, you needed the great one-off tunes that, you know, maybe a couple hundred copies were pressed and that's it. When they're gone, they're gone. That, that would really help if there was a great song that was exclusive or a remix of something. So um, how it would work, and I imagine this was very similar in most cities, but in Montreal, where I did a lot of my record buying, because that's where I lived and, and DJed, the shipments would come in. Uh, I believe at the time it was like the European or, or the American shipments would come in on Tuesdays. Uh, and they'd be put out in the shop at around 5 p.m. So myself and about 15, 20 of the other DJs who would regularly buy in the city would all show up then. And uh, Chris Chan, the store owner, would put the record on. And basically, if you shot your hand up, you'd get a copy of it until there were no copies left at around 5 p.m. So myself and about 15, 20 of the other DJs who would regularly buy in the city would all show up then. And uh, Chris Chan, the store owner, would put the record on. And basically, if you shot your hand up, you'd get a copy of it until there were no copies left. But there were always a few special releases that he had maybe one, two copies of, maybe one for himself, maybe a copy for someone else. And, you know, oftentimes he would be considerate and say, well, you play this style of music, this one's good for you. But there was always the, the, the fact that um, I was getting left out. I just wasn't getting those special records, and it, it, it was important to me, probably less so for my career, but more so to feed my addiction. But, you know, what, what I started to notice, and this is where the utility comes in, is that it was such a busy period that uh, Christian didn't have time to eat. So what I started doing was showing up uh, with a burger from the shed, which was an awesome Montreal institution. It had this great burger, it was, uh, had like, and this was groundbreaking for the time. Uh, it had blue cheese and fried mushrooms and pine nuts. It was awesome. Great burger. I don't think they're still around. But anyway, I'd get, get one for him too. And lo and behold, the extra special records started coming my way. And, uh, you know, the cynical of us might call that bribery. But, <laughs> but that really wasn't the case. It was me being of use, providing value. Uh, and in exchange, I was able to get an outcome that I was hoping for. And that's, you know, really uh, when, when I realized, you know, hey, there's something to this provision of utility. I think that's how some, I think, well, one, which I would do, maybe I'll do two things uh, for Graham. Uh, one, I think that's a, a, like a really valuable story for us at Pounding Grain, just as a guiding kind of, guiding light of, of how to provide value in such a simple and easy way. Mm -hmm. And that it is a two-way relationship street between brands and consumers. And brands need to get into the mindset of like how can they be the the you know burger to <laughs> the DJ the, the record store owner and, and provide that like I don't want to there's probably tons of cheesy um, terms like surprise and delight or stuff like that but it is those those moments where you really make an authentic connection with a consumer by doing something sometimes completely unexpected in a useful way um, I always think for airlines it's always you know they do lots of you know 
viral videos and stuff about you know transporting people, you know, across to for home reunions and stuff. But even if for for you and I who've made the trip from Vancouver to Toronto a few times in 2015, <laughs> even if we got on a plane and one of the airlines just said today you're on an airplane and every customer on the airplane is going to have two extra inches of leg room because we remove three rows of seats in the plane just to thank you for your business. I think you'd be like, well, I'm, this is my airline. Yeah. For, because they're just providing like a little thank you rather than, you're not in a viral video. <laughs> I'm sure the marketing said, we got to film this. <laughs> we got to film the luxury of the extra two inches. But I think that that's the kind of um, authentic usefulness that brands will have to start getting into. Yeah, and I think authentic is, is key there. You know, we're, we're in such a transparent age right now that, um, you know, intentions are, well, quite transparent. And I think authenticity is recognized and rewarded in terms of loyalty. Yeah. I had another question, kind of, we've gone to, uh, what, 1940s Montreal? No, no, it wasn't that. <laughs> I can't. put it to mid to late 80s. <laughs> 80s Montreal. Uh, I always think that you've done really good in some of our um, discussions and pitches and, and kind of discussions with clients and talking about utility of sort of the, the sort of origin stories of utility back in the day. Am I putting you on the spot? Sure. No. Okay, so mine is a little bit of a, uh, I'll admit, a little bit of a family plug. As a couple of examples. Yeah, I thought, yeah. I think there are two that jump out at me uh, in terms of, you know, one, how long ago these happened, and, and two, the iconic nature of how this was done and the fact that people might not realize that these were actually examples of utility-based marketing. One of my favorite examples, you have to go back to 1900. Uh, in France, and uh, there were two brothers, and they were trying to figure out how to get people to drive more so that they can sell more tires. And these were the Michelin brothers. What? Did the, did the, did the shoe just drop? <laughs> so, so basically, they determined, and you know, at this time, 1900s, there were not, there were, there were a handful, a few thousand cars on the road only, so they had to grow the market. But, you know, their big insight was that if we could provide regular routine destinations for people that they could drive to, they'll drive more and they'll use more tires. So they created the Michelin Guide. And we've been going on road trips ever since. Exactly. Yeah. The rest, my friend, is history. <laughs> <laughs> Educational is always on the podcast. What's the what was the other? What's your other big one? Yeah, so so the other one is fast forward from 1900 to roughly 1950, 1951. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I don't want to spoiler alert this one. So I just want to arrange the facts in my head while I say <laughs> the sentence. Okay, locked it down. So a few people were out um, in the countryside. Uh, on, a, on a hunting trip, and uh, they were in a place uh, called North Slob. I don't think that's how you pronounce it, but that's how one in Canada would pronounce it, uh, in the Irish countryside. Yes. Yeah. 
and uh, they uh, were, were hunting, and they had an argument over what um, the fastest game bird in Europe was. Now, of course, we all know that it was the golden plover. Always the plover. But that was not something that everyone in the hunting party could agree upon. And in fact, by the time they finished their hunting escapade, is that is that sojourn? What do you call it? That's sojourn. Sounds sojourn. Yeah, I mean, it's an adventure. Adventure, um, yeah. yeah. So they ended up at the bar, and they were still arguing over this. And one of the gentlemen who knew it was the golden plover said, wouldn't it be great if I thought for a second you were going to say, he pulled out his phone. <laughs> no, that's what happened now. And Googled it. Yeah, no. There were very few people with cell phones in 1951. <laughs> right, right. But, but, you know, it dawned on him that there were probably relatively important yet inane arguments like this going on amongst gentlemen in bars all across Ireland, the rest, Southern Slav, maybe even, <laughs> and the rest of Europe. And... Uh, he decided to create a book uh, to settle all arguments. Uh, what was interesting is he also happened to be the managing director of Guinness, and thus was born the Guinness Book of World Records, which was ultimately meant as a tool uh, that people can use while in bars. Uh, point, point being, you know, in, in this case, the sales of the book became so popular uh, that became a viable business, obviously, uh, uh, unto itself. You know, and, uh, and you know, it's kind of it like had a good ride until yeah. Google came around. <laughs> it still exists. It still exists. Uh, I was going to say like it's both like utility, but also like one of the first like bits of like content marketing, like branded totally. content. Like he was clearly on the cutting edge in yeah. 1951. He no was doubt. solving bar arguments, <laughs> creating like content marketing, and being useful to. Uh, it would be disparaging to call them drunkards, but like <laughs> gentlemen yes. in we, drinking establishments arguing over stuff. We should all lift a glass to yeah. Sir Hugh Beaver. Hugh Beaver. Yes. Of course his name's Hugh Beaver. <laughs> I feel bad yes. that we should have had Guinnesses yes. for this. You, now, you might know other Sir Hugh Beavers from North Slop, Yeah. but it was this particular this one who ran Guinness. Yeah. There was probably like yeah. a dozen of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we put together for, for one of your talks... Uh, utility marketing playlist. Do you remember what your sort of like hits, <laughs> hit recommendations were yeah. for marketers out there? I, you know, I might not get them all, but I have a, I have a couple. I, I, yeah, I've got, I've got a few. Yeah. I, and, you know, first and foremost, remember who your user is. And I think that ties back to the customer journey. And you got to know who you're speaking to. And you can't help someone unless you know what they actually need. Um, Number two, and you know, you had talked about this, is it needs to be authentic to one's brand. So there needs to be alignment uh, on that side as well. Guinness Book of World Records, great example. Great example. Authentic to the brand, yeah. Uh, the third thing is it's important to be different. If there's 27 other apps out there that just launch that do it, you probably don't need to do it. Um, you, you know, the, the flip side of this, and maybe fodder for another podcast, is it's quite a battle. Um, to have your app regularly used on a phone when you think about how many apps you regularly use. So while you do want to uh, be ambitious, uh, and, uh, it's important to think differently too. Where can you, where, where can you add value that's not already available? Um, you know, and if we're talking about mobile, and these things don't always have to be mobile, it just so happens many of them are, 
And that, by the way, um, is because when someone's got a cell phone, well, they've always got it with them, and uh, we're able to understand the, the context and what they're doing, which helps us help them better. So if it's a mobile app we're talking about, make sure you've got adequate budget, um, not just to build it, but to maintain it. Uh, Sage advice. I like it. But I like that you incepted another uh, podcast topic from this one. <laughs> I did. Which means that we'll have to have you back. Until then, Jeff. <laughs> and we're back. So, Nick, we did our first interview. Amazing. Uh, I always want to hear more about how to be useful in a digital world. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's not an easy, uh, no, no easy task. It isn't. Oh, and it, I think it's important. And uh, the good transition here for the Poundcast is being useful. We wanted to maybe like end with our picks. On, Digital picks. On being things that are useful. So our favorite segment, what are you sharing with us today? Sure. Okay, so mine is a little bit of a, uh, I'll admit, a little bit of a family plug. So um, my cousin gave an address last night at the We Are Wearables meetup. Uh, so he was giving a talk on a product that he and some of his cohorts are developing uh, for a startup. Uh, it's called Hawkeye, which is stylized as H-W-K-I, which I like. I like a lot. Smart. Great name. So, yeah. It's a, well, people might uh, get it wrong the first time, but they'll still call it hockey, which is great because this is a product that is a camera that fits into your hockey helmet. Yeah. So he, my cousin Shay, is an ex-hockey player, played a high level, and he saw perceived the need uh, for this for uh, training videos. So it's basically... It is along the lines of a GoPro, but it has this sleek, stylish design that fits right into your helmet if you're a hockey player. Uh, it's not distracting in any way, and it just it's part of the helmet. So I guess what they were planning on doing, as, as you know, they have stated, is uh, increase a player's hockey IQ, uh, which in turn could help them avoid situations that cause head injuries. Hmm. So... After the game, they'll be able to review what they did on the ice and see what they did wrong. Uh, I guess improve their general play and and safety. So, huh. Wow! Yeah, it's a cool thing. Yeah, and they've they didn't they start experimenting with a little bit of the kind of like uh, like ref cam stuff last year's NHL season and stuff. Like I see like there's these practical like personal uses for it, but then. There's a dual fold where you could like then tap into these like so if the just to bring it back to what we were talking about with the Apple TV like if you could change your perspective and watch the game from your like favorite player's perspective while he was like you know shooting and scoring that goal you could like tap into that too it'd be pretty cool. I mean, to be honest, I didn't know that about refs, but it makes perfect I sense. I think they tried it. And this product would yeah. would work for it, and also I guess also to harken back to the Internet of Things, um, you know when there's disputed plays yeah. or disputed goals, and there's just not a great angle for it. Why doesn't everybody just have this product on their head? Yeah, you know, and what every player that was close just tap into their stream. Yeah, one of them is looking at it uh, at the puck uh, so. when it may or may not have gone over the goal line. Yeah. I mean, if it's in the goalie's helmet as well, it's just like, I don't know. It's just, there's, there's a lot of possibilities there. They could sure. definitely use that. Watching the, the Jays this year, there's a lot of close plays in, in baseball. It's 
crazy how sometimes those camera angles that they currently have don't always give you the uh, it's still too tricky when they play it from all the different angles they still don't know even, even just like not from like a rules perspective i was just picturing a hockey game just like getting the what like watching it on cbc and yeah. just the perspective you could get on some of the plays insane yeah i love it great pick all right Awesome. What's your pick? <laughs> Mine, I think you're going to like this one. Oh, I hope so. Um, so I, I saw this week that Spotify music um, app company released a new kind of tool, which I thought was super useful um, and kind of fun. So they re- released this tool called Found Them First. So if you have your um, Spotify account, you can then click this button on this microsite um, and like it's crazy how simple it does, but it basically just like tracks back um, to all their artists between January 2013 and June of this year. Um, and then it basically it's cl- classifying breakout artists. So someone with 20 million streams or more or a growth rate of 2000% in that time frame of these like big like, oh my God, now they're huge stars. But there was a time when they were not huge stars, mm-hmm. but maybe you listened to them before everyone else did. Which always kind of pisses you off, and it's like... <laughs> totally! Yeah, I, I, know, I don't know what that is. There's, it's, it's a little bit possessive, but yeah. it's like, that was my thing. Exactly. Well, it can't it's, be everybody's at the ACC. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's that kind of like old-timey um, music snob. Like, just like, no, 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 no. Like, I bought them on vinyl before, like, anyone else knew about them. Or I saw them in, like, some tiny club before anyone else did. But this, like, now gives you digital kind of ownership and bragging rights because you had them in your playlist before anyone else. Cool. Um, and, and classifies you as, like, an early listener which, which they say is only like between one and fifteen percent of their user base, when they have like many, de- you know, thirty or forty million users. Well, you want everybody. To, if you were an early listener, you want to shout that out to the world. Everyone needs to know. Yeah, that's a badge of honor. Totally. Even though I, I find myself saying things like that, I hear myself saying that, like, oh, when I saw them, <laughs> you know, in this empty room. <laughs> totally. No but one I th- knew who they were, but uh, I, I do it. Yeah. But I thought it was a, like, a really fun example of a company. They already have a great service that's useful. Mm. It's an extension and a, a, a way to have a little bit of fun. Cool. And then they have even more fun for people like me who don't listen to enough of music. Mm. Um, and they drop you a consolation playlist, um, basically, sort of for music dummies like me, where they'll give you a playlist of these are things that are likely to be the next big <laughs> thing. <laughs> always interesting when a company like Spotify that, you, like, as you said, is established, people are already using the service. Yeah. What can they do to, you know, still be a little, like, add a bit of innovation yeah. just to make their service that much more useful? Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, cool. And I, I, but I could see, like, a bunch of other, um, you know, related services copying that, like Netflix. Like, oh, no, I watched the show before anyone else or I was like you know totally. people do that already just by word of mouth on Netflix yeah. like oh I watched Longmire the first time <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah. oh you're only watching it now yeah, yeah. come on Deadwood come yeah on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so I think like that was kind of an interesting uh, kind of insight but like when we talk about utility and and, and, and Sandy mentioned quite a few um, 
kind of new startups that are kind of doing that stuff. It, it's just a cool way for you to provide value to your to your users. So bringing it all back to being useful. Amazing, great tech. Yeah. So that is another edition of the Poundcast in the can, Nick. I love it. Poundcast um, 4. Poundcast 4. And uh, yeah, we need to figure out what we're going to do for episode 5. But uh, thanks for listening and uh, send, send any ideas or if you want to... You know, join us in Toronto for uh, an interview. Send us a, an email at hello at poundingrain.com and we'll You don't have we'll to have physically be in Toronto either. You so do not. Whoever you are, wherever you are. Yeah, we can, t- we can talk to you over the internets. Mm-hmm. Um, how about uh, we do our, our, our standard thing? You want to do a little outro? A little radio outro? You know how I like this. I'll do my best. <laughs> You can find the Poundcast in the iTunes store. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn for your regular digital marketing news. And find our weekly wrap-up of the best in digital marketing, the weekly wins at poundandgrain.com every Friday. I love your radio voice. It's so good. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Jackson. Thank you, Nick. 